0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net.
1: Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, do me a favor, grab your Bible if you would and turn to, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and then also uh, if you'd put a thumb there and turn to Psalm 42. I want to look at something there with you as well. Philippians 3 and Psalm 42. A couple of announcements while you're doing that. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just stick a hand up nice and high. One of these men will make sure that you get one. We need one down here, uh, maybe over here. That's all I see right now, guys. A um, couple of announcements. Uh, outdoor service and baptism on July 31st. Uh, you should have received a baptism information flyer. Um, right down here, guys. Uh, you should have received a baptism information flyer. If you could fill that out for us if you're interested in being baptized and get that. Either drop it off at the information table. I would tell you to put it in the tithe basket. Probably a little late for that. But um, that would be really great. That would help us out. That's going to be on July 31st. Um, also, Rogue Valley Mobile Pack on July 27th at 6 o'clock at the Hub. This is the uh, the Feed My Starving Children program that we've been talking about a little bit lately. Um, the first Wednesday service this month went to benefit some of that. Jason Licato is going to be doing an informational meeting on how you can get involved on that. Um, kind of a status update on where that program and all those things are right now. That will be on July 26th. At six o'clock, over at the hub, um, family camp signups are still going on right out here at the table. And informa- uh, excuse me—space is running out really, really quickly. So uh, you want to make sure you jump in there just as fast as you can. I think last I heard, there were over thirty some families already signed up for family camp. So make sure if you're wanting to get in on that, you're going to want to move quick because there's not a lot of space left for that. And uh, finally, the men's Bible study that meets on Thursday morning with me here at the hub—we've uh, been kind on hiatus for a couple of weeks, but we will be launching again this week at 6.30 this Thursday morning. So uh, looking forward to hanging out with you guys and looking at some of the Truth Project stuff we've been in lately there. So uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Also Psalm chapter 42. But we're going to open in prayer because I don't even know, maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you don't in light of what we even talked about last week here. Um, It just seems to keep getting worse. Um, There was another shooting this morning in Baton Rouge, Um, conflicting reports, anywhere from two to three police officers killed, several more that have been shot. Um, It just seems like our nation is in a really, really, uh, not our nation, our world. We got France that happened this week, Turkey, this is just a really, um, there's a lot of pain And there's a lot of hurt going on out there in so many ways. We're at a a really, really sketchy time, it just seems like, in our history. And so we just want to take a moment right now just to to acknowledge what's going on, to pause and just ask that the Lord would just have his way in the midst of such chaos, um, and then just pray that the Lord would speak to us here this morning. So will you join with me in prayer? God, we, we've almost becoming numb to this, Lord. The constant, never-ending stream of headlines of violence, of just wickedness happening all over the world. And I pray, God, that you would just move. Or as your word says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I just pray, God, would you heal our land? Lord, would you minister to our land? Lord, we're part of the United States of America, Lord, so we start here and just ask God, will you solve what seems to be unsolvable? Lord, will you move? Will your gospel be upheld? And and I pray, God, that you would just minister to the hearts and souls, Lord, uh, primarily, Lord, right now, those that are hurting because of the deaths that we've seen the last couple of weeks. But God, even in the hearts of and minds of those who might be planning similar events even now, God, could you intervene? Lord, we see in your word how Paul was on his way to commit acts of terrorism against the church. And you came, you intervened, you took him down, you saved him, you changed him in that moment through your sovereign glory. I pray, God, you would do that again. Lord, no doubt somewhere as we speak, there's somewhere thinking of doing such a thing right now. And I pray, God, will you save? Will you intervene? Will you work? And God, I pray for churches all over this land right now, for Christians all over this land, that while excuses, blame, reasons are being thrown left and right, while we look to why or how to deal with it, I pray, God, you would put the gospel on the lips of your church and that, Lord, we would be able to uphold you as the answer to everything. Jesus, only you can solve this. Jesus, only you can solve racial issues. Only you can solve holy wars. Only you can solve battles over land. Only you can solve, because, Lord, only you can heal the hearts of men. And this is where the wickedness comes from, Lord, from our fallen nature. And so I pray, God, you would just heal and show mercy. I pray for those who are hurting. Even now, the confusion in Baton Rouge and places like that, Lord, I pray that your spirit would go. And I pray for those, Lord, um, all over the land. I pray for our local law enforcement, Lord. If there are others planning similar things against them, Lord, would you protect them? We have many that are part of our church. We love them. I pray, Lord, for members of whether it be the African-American community or minorities throughout this land. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to them through hurt, through questions, through anger. I pray, God, you would just minister your gospel through them. I pray, God, for ISIS. Lord, may you intervene. May you change hearts that want to bring such pain and wickedness to this world. And may they see you for who you are. I pray for our nation's leaders and leaders all over the world as they search for answers. I pray, God, you would give them wisdom. We just don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so, God, now as we gather your church here in Medford, Oregon, to open up your word to see what you would have for us this morning, I pray that you would speak to us as well. Lord, even as we pray these things, Lord, this this whole message is about the fact that what we really long for is you. So, Lord, may your spirit move in this place this morning. May you speak through, Lord, even someone such as me, Lord. But May your word go forth. May your spirit move. May we hear what you have to say to your people. May our hearts receive it. May it produce fruit. And may we be drawn closer and closer to you, Lord, as we study your word. So, God, I pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh my God, my rock, my redeemer, my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a sad time to watch the news. But it's a good thing to realize that we do have the answer. And that even in spite of all the pain and the things that we see going on in the world, that one day, one day he's coming back. One day, this will be gone. One day, all of this will be put right, and we won't have to watch news and find out of more suffering and more struggle. But until that day, our faith is in him. It's not in political processes to fix this. We should have figured out by now, throughout all of human history, it's never happened. Our faith's not in military, our faith's not in government, our faith's not in law enforcement or civic leaders or any of those things. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And so we have to continue to go to him when this stuff happens over and over and over and just beg God's mercy on our land. Amen? We need it now more than ever. Um, but you know what? It's during dark times like this that the gospel shines the brightest too. And so we need to uphold it. We need to uphold it. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Though we're going to start off in, in Psalm here in just a minute. The book of Philippians is my favorite book in the Bible. I've said this several times before, and there, there's a reason why. It's not just random that I happen to like this book better than others, but it's the style, the way Paul writes, um, and, and the material that Paul puts forth that I'm particularly drawn to here because um, I read a lot, I study a lot, I study other teachers, I study other churches, I listen to all sorts of teaching, all sorts of writing. Um, But there's a specific kind um, that I'm drawn to. Now, I can learn from all sorts of pastors. I can learn from all styles of teaching, of writing, and, and all these. We can learn from anything, right? But I particularly, my personality, I'm drawn towards one particular style more than others. When, when I come across this, it seems to grab me uh, more than others. And it's, it's writings, teachings, even music that has some degree of, of angst to it. And, and this is kind of what I mean. Like, I'm not drawn towards overly happy or overly moralistic, kind of like, do this, don't do this. I'm not going to grab too many books in the bookstore that are like 10 steps towards that or how to do this. Uh, what I'm drawn more towards is angst. So I'll give you an example. Let's consider music, for example. Um, now, I'm not dogging these songs if you like these songs. I'm not saying that there's bad, that these are bad songs at all. I'm just telling you what I'm drawn to. Okay, so I'm not drawn as naturally towards worship music that are things like, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Just, oh, happy day. Oh, that's, wait, that's a white clap. Let me try that again. Oh, happy day. Like that. I, it just doesn't do that for me. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Ugh. You know what I mean? Songs that you just, (laughs) while you do it, I'm sorry, I'm beyond white. But like, I just, I'm not drawn towards that cheery, happy, yay things. Like, it's not that they're bad. It's not that I can't enjoy them at times. It's just not what I'm, my proclivity is not naturally drawn to them. You know what I'm drawn to? Songs like what we just sang a few minutes ago. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. There's an angst in that. You hear that? that there's, there's something in that song where, where the guy singing, the person writing is saying, I'm not okay with where things are right now, and I'm struggling with where things are right now, and God, I need you. That's another great example. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We closed last week with that song. And that song, when we play that song, there, there's this opportunity for me to just plead with the Lord from a place of kind of honesty. Does that make sense? Like there's this opportunity to be able to go, this is where I'm at and I'm not satisfied with where I am and I'm, I struggle even with where I am and Lord, I, I don't even have all the answers, but I need you. And there's this angst-filled pleading for God in those kinds of songs. And there's all types of worship music that all have their place. Sam's really worried right now. Jeff, you're killing my high-energy praise music. No, there's a place for rejoicing. Paul says it over and over and over in Philippians. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But me, my own personality, my own nature, I am drawn towards the kind of songs where you can be on your knees pleading for God. That's what I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to those kinds of things, even in the scriptures. Take a look, if you would, at Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1 says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, this could easily be also talking about a song. We know this song, right? I can't stand the song. I can't stand the song. Odds are, unless Sam somehow slips it by me, you're never going to hear us here sing, As the deer pants for... You're not going to hear that. And here's why. That song is like this sweet... it, It doesn't have an angst to it. It has almost an emotional... As the deer pants for the water you like butterflies you're picturing will be flying around and like you know things like that and but is that how david writes this psalm let's look at what else he says as the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, does that sound light and fluffy? There's tremendous angst there, isn't there? There's a hunger and a longing that has not yet been fulfilled in the writers, in David's soul, where he's saying, I'm longing for God. I want more of God. And I don't, right now, I don't feel that. And I'm not where I want to be. God, have you forgotten me? My enemies are against me. Where are you? And there's this constant longing. And you can picture this guy on his knees with his hands to heaven with no answers himself for anything. Just saying, God, I need you. And he says, this is what I'm longing for. I'm longing for God. There's more of it. Psalm 27.4 says this. We can put it on the screen here. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now think about it for a second. In these writings, what we see David saying over and over and over, there seems to be a tension-filled and angst-ridden appetite. I'm going to use that word, appetite, longing for God that is not yet fully satisfied. You can see, even in the previous psalm that we read, that David even talks about the fact that, man, there's seasons where he's leading the worship procession, and then there's seasons where he's saying, God, where are you? But overall, this appetite that he has for God, and this longing, it's like there's still something missing, and he needs more, and he's just begging God. And then here, in this psalm, he's saying there's one thing I'm asking of God. I think this is intrinsically Christian. I think that's why I'm maybe drawn to it. It's intrinsically Christian. Christianity is not anywhere about the fact that we get our act together or about our own independence and about how we can fight and we can do this. But the very core of Christianity is a heartfelt, gut-wrenching plea of dependence on God. That I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'll never get to heaven on my own. I can't be good enough. I feel like something's missing. I'm created for more than this. The relationship that I have with you, I want more of it. And there's this constant longing. And not just longing in general, not just like I can't wait till I get to heaven or I can't wait till I'm perfect or I can't wait till I don't hurt. But in the the Psalms, we see really clearly and in Paul's writing as well that the longing that's there specifically is a longing for God himself. Like, not longing for the benefits of God, but longing for God. Look at what he said here. One thing I have asked of the Lord. There are so many things we could ask of the Lord. If there was, if we just prayed, and what are we asking of the Lord? Lord, heal our land. There's violence, there's death, there's war, there's terrorism, there's all these things going on. And so if we had our one wish that we could say, Lord, we need this of you, we would be tempted to, to be drawn more towards the benefits, the workings of God. But David here in the scriptures makes it really clear, the thing I long for more than anything is God himself. Not the peace that he provides, not the healing he can give, I'm longing for him. I want to know him. I want more of him. This is what he's calling for. And this is what Philippians, and in particular, Philippians chapter 3 is all about. Philippians chapter 3, Paul's going to continue here to exhort the church much in the same way that he had been doing in Philippians 2. So we sort of, sort of finished off Philippians 2 a little bit last week. Um, We're sort of skipping a little bit of a session I'll, I'll explain it here so Philippians chapter 2 Paul comes in and begins to exhort the church on how the church is supposed to live out their identity and who they are in Christ and he's he's urging them to live a life in the same way Christ lived here and it's this life of humility esteeming one another better than yourselves, looking after someone else's interests, not just your own, humbling ourselves in the same way that Christ humbled himself and set his esteem, set his position aside, humbled himself, came to earth, even death on a cross for the sake of us. He's saying this is the way the church is to live, that we are to approach this understanding that in light of what God has done for us, we pour ourselves out for others in much this exact same way. And then he goes on, we to live as lights to the world we looked at that last week we we live a godly life as a light to the rest of the world and then chapter two goes on to the part we've sort of skipped over to uphold men like timothy and epaphroditus as these great examples of men who are willing to put their own needs aside who are looking out for the needs of other paul in particular he's talking about these are guys that have done for me what i'm urging you to do for others And so he's these great gospel examples of these men sacrificing themselves for the cause of the gospel. And now in Philippians 3, he begins to shift. And so now he's going to warn the church. This is a church he planted some four or five years earlier. And so now he wants to warn the church of something. And look, there's a litany of things that Paul could warn the church about. I mean, let's not forget, where's he writing from? Prison. So he understands that to live the kind of life he's calling them to live is going to put them big time against the flow of the world around them. This is the same guy who writes to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so it would be natural to understand that, okay, if I imitate you, Paul, if I live the way you're living, Paul, then does that mean I'm going to end up where you are, Paul? And the answer to that, maybe. Many would. Many would. Persecution was growing and it was going to get really bad for the Philippians and many others in the near future. So Here's Paul, he loves these guys. Chapter one talks over and over. He's just gushing with love for these guys. So now he's gonna warn them. He could warn them of all sorts of things. He could say, hey, I wanna warn you, hard times are coming. Hey, I wanna warn you. But the first thing he goes to when he's like, I, I, I'm looking out for you. I want you to live this way. But in light of the fact that you're living this way, look, I need to warn you to watch out for something. And in Philippians 3, 1, he says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, To write these same things to you is no trouble to me. It's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, now, watch out for the dogs. He's not, obviously, he's not talking about actual dogs. Like, hey, there's some dogs in town you want to watch. It's not what he's talking about. Um, In Jewish culture at that time, there was a group of people that they commonly referred to as dogs. Anyone remember who that is? It's the Gentiles. Anyone outside of their religious family, they would refer to them often as dogs. And so as we go forth here, who is this Paul's talking about? These dogs, these evildoers, these people who, um, who mutilate the flesh? What you're going to find as we begin to read through these next verses is Paul is talking about a group of people who, from the book of Corinthians, um, the book of Galatians, big time, this one, Colossians coming up, he's going to put as outside the family of faith that has a really harsh effect on those inside the family of faith. And the people that he's pointing to, it's works-based Christians, well, Christians, works-based religion, people that are, um, are kind of stacking up there, I do this, I do this, I do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and all of these behavior and religious practices and all these things that make up who I am that you see, this is what defines my spirituality and my walk with my relationship with God. And Paul calls them dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh, speaking to circumcision. That's harsh language. Why would Paul use such harsh language? Now, he's going to go on to use, I've even gotten in trouble for preaching a little too clearly about what Paul's going to say. He's actually using some of the harshest language that he uses anywhere in any of his writings. So this is Paul saying, hey, there's a giant danger here. Watch out for this. He's speaking really harshly, and the reason is is he wants us to understand this type of life that these people represent, promote, and push onto the church all over the place. He wants them to understand not only the emptiness of this kind of living, but that it's an absolute deadly trap for the church. And so let's look at what he says. He says this, verse 4. So here's what's happening. Paul's like, listen, watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these evildoers. These are the people that come and they say, I never miss a Sunday. I go to church all the time. I don't listen to secular music. I don't watch rated R movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they define themselves and as if like this is their resume for their faith and their relationship with God. It's like wearing badges, those Boy Scout, Girl Scout things with all their badges. This is who I am. Like they're wearing their works on their chest to say, this is what defines me and my relationship with God. And Paul says, they're dogs. And then he says, look, if anyone would have reason to boast and brag and identify themselves based on their works, it would be me. And so he goes into this, man, according to the law, blameless. I was a Pharisee, all these things. Um, to, To kind of bring it back to our level, it would be like saying, okay, you guys want to match up some resumes and see where we are in this hierarchy of Christianity that doesn't exist, but we pretend does. Okay, get this. I've never missed a Sunday service, ever. I read the Bible every day. And I know you all say you do, but I do. I memorized the entire New Testament. I have never seen a rated R movie that wasn't about the crucifixion of Jesus. I don't listen to secular music. I only listen to hymns, actually. That contemporary stuff's got the devil's rhythm in it. You know that. I don't do that, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't chew. I don't even say the light cuss words like shucks, <laughs> except for just then. <clears throat> I'm at church every Sunday. I lead a community group, I lead the men's Bible study, I've read every book Evangel has. They can't even feed them to me fast enough. I'm a frequent caller on K Dove. I go to all the Christian concerts and on and on and on and on. And he's saying, this is what he's saying. Listen carefully. He's saying, who cares? That's what he's saying. Who cares? If you are the most moralistic person on the face of the earth, if you never mess up, which doesn't exist, but we'll just say if. If that's who you are, if you are nailing it to a degree, the rest of us can't even fathom the success rate that you are. Who cares if you don't have Jesus? Look what he says, moving on. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, is is there gain in moralistic living? Those are, those are a lot of good things we just talked about, right? Is it good to read our Bible? Absolutely. It's commanded that we should study our scriptures. Is it good that we pray? Is it good that we come to church? Absolutely. All of those things. But here's what he's saying here. All of that in and of itself is like the Tower of Babel, if that's what you think, is going to earn some sort of righteousness that gets you to heaven. You have no shot to begin with, and at the end it's going to end with devastation and with confusion. So if you go and you mount up all of your good works and all the good things that you do, it has no shot at getting you anywhere near Christ. Christ is the goal. And so it doesn't matter how many times you've tithed. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. If you do all of those things and have no relationship with Christ, if you don't know him, you lose. People are stacking all of these accomplishments up as if there's some sort of scale to show that they're going to win these competitions. I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as him. I'm way better than that one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, look, you could do it all. But without Christ, you lose all of these things. It's always going to fall short. Look what he goes on to say, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'll do this carefully, because I got emails last time, but when Paul says rubbish, in some of your translations, it may say dung, that's a little closer. Excrement, closer yet. The next word that I get in trouble if I use, that's the actual word. So, so here, that's the actual word. So here's what Paul's saying. Stack it all up, man. Blameless with the law, as religious as it gets, nailing it in every possible area, never missing a Sunday, tithe all the time, serving my community, stack it all up. And all of that looks like a pile of excrement on the ground compared to just knowing Jesus Christ. And he's using that language on purpose because he wants to minimize this stack to the, to, the, to the greatest degree possible. It doesn't come close. It will always fall short. None of those things will ever get us to the place that we need to be. And this is what we have to understand. And, and we get so caught up in this sometimes. He goes, listen, this kind of living is not our pursuit. I, I know that's weird to hear. But being a better version of who you are today is not your goal in Christianity. I hope it's a byproduct, but it's not the goal. The goal is Jesus. To know him. To be known by him. To be reconciled to him. To grow closer to him. That's the goal. I mean... This is what he's saying. This is throughout Paul's writings, throughout David's writings, we see all this stuff. Let's look at history, church history. Some of the early church fathers wrote about this in ways... um, they, they really make some of the modern writings today look so inadequate compared to the way some of these. And these are men that had no, they're not sitting with their Logos software. They're not, uh, they're not podcasting other preachers from all over the place. It's just a guy sitting with his Bible and his thoughts. And they're writing some of the most incredible things about understanding God and our faith. And so, for example, Augustine. Look what Augustine said. If you call him Augustine, you can, but it just means you're an American. That's not what it is. Augustine. Augustine said this, But where in all that long time was my free will? And from what deep sunken hiding place was it suddenly summoned forth in the moment in which I bowed by your neck to your easy yoke and my shoulders to your light burden? Christ Jesus, my helper and my redeemer, How lovely I suddenly found it to be free from the loveliness of those vanities, so that now it was a joy to renounce what I had been so afraid to lose. For you cast them out of me and took their place in me, you who are sweeter than all pleasure. Now if you know anything about Augustine's life, he searched for fulfillment and joy in everything from sexual immorality to religion. He looked Everywhere for some purpose in life. And he's saying here, there were these things that I thought were the goals of my life and I held to them tightly. I thought, this is what it's all about. And then I met you, Jesus. And I bowed to your neck, Jesus. And your burden, your yoke, came around my neck, Jesus. And I realized these things that I just was desperately afraid to lose, you took from me and you replaced them. And now I realize what life is really about. You are sweeter than them all. Charles Spurgeon said this, I thank thee that this, which is a necessity of my new life, is also its greatest delight. So I do at this hour feed on thee. This is what he's saying. My new life as a Christian, its greatest need and greatest joy is to feed on you, Jesus. Not, not even so much things of God, but you, God, are the goal. You are the one that I have an appetite for. You are the delight of my soul and the need of, of my entire existence. It's you specifically. John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, all of these men would write about these profound, but like not yet met, not yet fulfilled longings for God Himself. They all speak of this this, as if I, I just can't get enough of him. I'm longing for God. As a deer pants for the water, my soul longs. There's this aching, this yearning for him. The scriptures declare it. The early church declares it. Nature around us declares it. You guys know this, Romans 8. Romans 8, 19 says this. For the creation waits with eager longing. still sort of intrinsically remembers what it was like to be pure before the fall, before sin affected not just humanity but affected creation itself and that creation is longing and groaning for the day it can be set free to be what God designed it to be, to worship and point to God. I mean, there's a way in which Crater Lake, which can declare the majesties of God like no other, it's being muffled by sin. It is not yet able to fully declare the wonders of its creator because of our sin. And creation itself, I love the way Matt Chandler puts it. He goes, we know why the wolf howls. We know why the whales cry. We know why the trees creak when they rock back and forth in the wind. It's because all of creation is longing to be reunited with its creator. We see this in the church writings. We see this in... The early church, we see this in the scriptures and the writings of Paul. We see Paul say, I count all things as excrement for the value of knowing him. We see this even in creation. So here's our question then. Do we see it in us? Do you, do I, do we long for God in the same way? Do we yearn for him? I'm not so sure that we do. Why don't we? I, I think in some ways, um, the church in recent decades has has made a mistake in taking the gospel in Jesus Christ and relegating Jesus and the gospel into something we need to get into heaven. And then it, th- though they would never say it, becomes something we don't need quite as much after. So So we put a bunch of emphasis on our conversion. Get saved. You need to punch that ticket into heaven or you're going to go to hell without him. Which is true. We need that. But it, then it's as if now we go on to better things. Now we go on to bigger things. Or, or maybe now we go on, we got to start working hard on fixing ourselves so that we can prove to Jesus we were actually worth it. Like, he saved us, and we don't want him to feel like, oh, seriously, Jeff? And so i got to clean myself up. i got to start working really hard. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe we just get distracted. Sometimes we can be distracted by the world, obviously. And, and sometimes we're distracted by just things that are good. I mean, think about the list that Paul was talking about even as a Pharisee. Those are good things. Bible study. Service. Th- think about going to the community. Things like that. Those can be amazing things. But those can be things that end up literally distracting us from the true soul purpose of who we are as Christians. And why that we even exist. And that is because we long for God. For him. He's the goal. He's the prize. Look, look what J.I. Packer says about this here. He says this. Christian minds have conformed to the modern spirit. The spirit which spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. The modern way with God is to set him at a distance, if not deny him altogether. And the irony is that modern Christians preoccupied with maintaining religious practices in an irreligious world have themselves allowed God to become remote. That's true. In many cases, we can busy ourselves with so much religious activity and so many things that we need to do this, do this, do this, do this, and then we don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there's a way to do that that leaves God completely out of the mix. And we've got to be reminded, Paul's graciously reminding us right here, That's the goal. God is the goal. I mean, let me see if I can shake this into us maybe to a a greater degree. And I've used this passage many, many times. It's been a while. But Matthew 7, look what Matthew 7 says, verse 21. We have text for it here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If that passage doesn't put absolute terror in your soul, then I don't understand how to scare you. I mean, think about that. It's really clear. He's saying there's a way to do everything we're doing even right now and do it well. And then stand before God one day and hear Jesus say, I don't know you. Go. That should strike fear into the hearts of us. Like, what is our motives then? What is our goal? Because is it the works? Is it, okay, well, we need to do this and build our church program and do this or serve and all these kinds of things. And, and it just comes back to just the, the raw, pure simplicity of what it means to be a Christian church. Church, I got some good news for you. I'm done. The sermon's actually over. Earlier than I've been done in a really long time. Because there is nothing else that I could say to you this morning that would be of any more importance than to just tell you the point of everything we do is Jesus. Not work for Jesus. Not things of Jesus. Jesus. We worship a person. We follow a true, real, loving king. And we got to be careful. Hebrews 12 talks about the fact that he says, lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us. That means sometimes there's sin that keeps us away from Jesus, but sometimes there's things that might even be good things like religious practices. And he said, look, throw those things aside and look to the author and finisher of our faith. Have you forgotten that? Maybe it's a good morning for us just to be reminded the goal of everything that we do is that we might know Him. And if you're coming here or going there or practicing this or reading that in order to do Christian stuff, but you don't know Him, He doesn't know you, if you are not drawing close to Him, you're losing everything. Everything good. Your best on your best best day is excrement on the ground compared to the unsurpassed value of knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus is our goal. It's not heaven. It's not healing. It's not perfection. It's Jesus that is our prize. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our king. We're going to take a moment right now. Sam's going to close us in some worship, and I want to give you just a a few moments just of self-reflection. This is so easy for religion to slip in and we forget why. Like when you came here this morning, was that first and foremost on your mind? Why am I going here today? Jesus. It's so easy to lose that focus. But everything is dung, rubbish, garbage, worthless compared to the value of knowing him. So we're going to take just an opportunity. Sam's just going to to play. We like to call this the cry tar, the guilt tar, whatever you want to call it. But uh, Sam's going to play for just a minute and just have some quiet reflection for a moment where I want you to go to the Lord and do some heart-to-heart soul searching with him and be reminded, pray, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation when everything was about you. Lord, are there things that are in the way? Have I forgotten? Am I off track? Lord, I need you. Is there sin in the way? Is there religion in the way? Lord, I just, I need you. And let's allow the Lord right now to do some heart work in us. And then when Sam begins to sing, I want us to all stand. And let's worship him. Plead to him out of that angst filled, I'm not done yet. This world's not right yet. I need more of you. Let's worship him out of that. Amen. God, may you be with your church right now. I thank you, God, for this reminder in your word of your value, of your truth, of your goodness. So, Lord, right now, I pray that your spirit would move in this place and just, Lord, search out the heart and souls of everyone here. Father, show us if there be any wicked way in us, if there are things that have taken the place of you on the throne of our heart. And I pray, God, that we might reestablish our focus right now, that our our passion for you might be reignited, and that we might see you for the value, the prize, the treasure that you are. Lord, may we be, Lord, as as your word says, as the one who sees treasure in a field and is willing to give up everything he has to buy that field. Lord, may that be how we see you, Lord. May we not hold to anything else. May we just hold to you you minister to your church this morning, Jesus. In his name we pray.
0: Strong in yeah. perfect police, great high priest whose name is love. Sends me to despair, tells me of the perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace the king of glory and of grace the king of glory With himself, with himself, I cannot die. My soul is with his blood. My life is hid with Christ. On I, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God.
1: God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek to destroy life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. God, that is our prayer, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would just forgive us for times when we've become so easily satisfied by things of the world when we've allowed our appetite to fall short of what you have for us. Lord, we confess times of distraction, things we've allowed to get in the way. And I pray, God, that you would restore unto all of us the joy of our salvation. God, will you retune our taste buds that we might again long and thirst for you. May we have awe of you, walk in fear of you, but, Lord, may we desire you more than anything this world could offer. I pray, Jesus, that you would be our treasure, that you would be our prince, you would be our prize, our husband. So, God, will you nurture a new longing within your church? Lord, that we might not get distracted by sin that the temptations, Lord, that Satan might throw our way will fall flat because our eyes are upon that which is truly desirable, and that is you, Lord. And then, Lord, will you give us the ability to uphold your worth among all the nations, to exalt in you, to bring you glory, to point others to you, to be a city on a hill, a light to the world. Lord, may we find fulfillment in you. May we find pleasing in you. May we find joy in you. Lord, there's people in this room, even this morning, that have lost an appetite for your word. I pray, God, they would be drawn to it again. There's people in this room, Lord, that have replaced relationship with you with religious work or even things, good things like community service or, or love for one another. But I pray, God, that you would restore unto us, Lord, an intense joy and longing for you, Jesus. May you renew worship. May you renew devotions may you call people back to where they once were but take us farther god i pray you would just continue to grow and minister your church until that day that our faith is sight and our longing is fulfilled and you stand before us face to face and we pray for that day come quickly lord jesus but until that day lord may your holy spirit come and minister to your church be our comforter our provider and our leader May you be our king. These things we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me challenge you, church. This week, if you've drifted, come back. It's summertime. I get it. It's busy. Maybe it's tired, whatever the case may be. I just spent the whole week sick myself. Like I get it. It's so easy to fall away from the things that we once did when we, when we were able to feel and experience that closeness with Jesus and be reminded daily, not just on a Sunday that Jesus is our prize. So church come back. God's calling us back, come back. And may we be reminded once again of his incredible worth. Jesus is the point. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great, great week. God bless you. Go tell people about Jesus.